and they fail over and over until you switch the pitch of actually we built a sustainable beauty brand and this is the problem in the environment here's the current landscape here's why this is such a big issue here's what we're tapping into and when you can change the language and the strategy of that pitch even though it's still a group of men listening about your beauty brand then you've gotten them to understand they don't necessarily have to be a customer but now you've made them have interest in what you're actually trying to solve. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Luciano Cast. This episode was a fun one, of course, with Cat Weaver. Um, I had actually met Cat back in the, you guessed it, pitching circuit at Grand Valley back in the day, um, where she was killing it with the pitches um, with her company, Locker Lifestyle. Um, she's recently exited Locker Lifestyle and is now teaching others how to pitch as well. It was, this was a really fun conversation. It was great just personally just to catch up with Kat and see what she's up to and really get a better idea of some of the attitudes that she brings to basically her everyday life, which is her entrepreneurial work. And I think even if you don't do business pitches or you don't, you're not trying to currently raise money for things, I think this episode this conversation was still valuable for you in that you can learn how to how do you tailor your pitch at all times you're selling something even if it's your time or a new idea for something and so with that none other than cat weaver please enjoy cat welcome to the luciano cast excited to have you on no i'm i'm excited i'm honored you reached out so happy to share with you know, who, who you've got and who's willing to listen. <laughs> yeah, no, honor goes uh, both ways. Honored you'd come on because I think you're a, a cool cat. Um, pun definitely intended. I had to think about <laughs> it, but that's yeah, pun intended. But anyway, so we had kind of met through like the pitching circuit, you know, just doing different pitches, whether it was like M West or five by five, things like that. And uh, it was fun to see what you were doing because it was working. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, well, I really had no choice but to start on the pitching circuit. I didn't even know what a pitch competition was at first, but after starting a business in college, not knowing, well, what I was doing, hacking it together, one, two, not having money, three, playing tennis, so I couldn't even get another job to find other funds. It was, I had no choice if I wanted to move forward to really find other sources of funding. And, you know, mm -hmm. I've you know, you've heard a million times that I very early on lost everything in the business to a fire. So I seriously was at zero and really honed my storytelling techniques and strategies. And I didn't realize until a few pitch competitions after that, that was more of my superpower was really yeah. being a concise storyteller. Yeah. There's a couple of thoughts on that is, um, one of my, I think I mentioned it a lot in this podcast, but one of my favorite books is The Art of War. And one of the things is um, burn the ships. You are going to fight stronger and better when you literally have no choice. Like if you want to go home, you've got to do a good job and you got to do it right. <laughs> like if you want to make it alive, right? And that kind of seems like your attitude towards it when you're like, I was at zero. Like if I wanted this to work, I had to make this work. And pitch competitions were an avenue and then tightening that story, that was definitely something that I noticed where it was like, so for me, I always overthink it and I just create a brand new pitch every single time. And that's why my record is more like, uh, like I'm like two and 13 <laughs> versus, um, I don't know what your record is like. Hey, that's better than nothing. And, uh, oops. I, uh, like 
<laughs> I was like, it's so weird. I'm still on, so I don't know if it's my Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> no, like my elbow literally just like pinched my button down. So I'm going to figure out a better way. I'm just going to hold it here. Okay, now I'm aware of this situation, so we're good. Anyway, yeah, it's, it's better than nothing, right? No, seriously. I mean, I see founders do so many of them and then just give up or they're intimidated or they don't understand the process and that you literally have to fail to figure out what will work and ask for yeah. feedback. Like a lot of the pitches and even in networking events and things like that, not asking for feedback and going out of your way to make connections, then I feel like you wasted your time. Like in, in terms of me having to go literally to have the business survive, I didn't go for the money. I most, I went there more for, I'm going to meet every single person I can I'm going to connect with the judges. I'm going to connect with the investors. I had to be obsessive in who I was reaching out to and making sure that there's there's going to be at least one person here who can help me or that I could potentially help. And it's it, it worked. Like, it really worked over and over and over again. That's cool. No, that's definitely something to it, right? I mean, I was uh, even reading this morning, like, the people think the number one reason to pitch is to get money, but... The number one thing is so that you are figuring out how your business is going to work because when you're putting a pitch together you are describing how this business is about to be profitable and why you're the right person for it right and so if you do that well number one you get it now because we everyone's always like you're, oh my my to-do list is in my head right or i've got the vision for it in my head trust me you know and it's like <laughs> no your vision is your vision is cool product dot 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 million dollars like that's not a plan not that plans always go as they are planned but you know you gotta have something and it gets your ducks in rows and uh, the other part is it gets you the introductions um meeting people and things like that so the first company was locker lifestyle yes totally by accident literally started out of my dorm room. My first customers were knocking on my dorm room door and I was pulling out my stock underneath the bed to just sell one off units that I made in my mom's bridal store with her sewing machines. And it was just crazy because, you know, I had my stuff stolen and I wanted to go into medical school, but I didn't want to be the girl with fanny pack. I just needed the basics and I needed it to be active with me. I was, you know, going to practice and then I was going to class and then I wanted to go to the gym and do all these things. And it was, I don't need all this extra baggage. I need it to be simple and convenient. So I invented the wrist locker and it took off because I had other people asking where they could get one and saying mm -hmm. I wasn't the only one with this problem. So it naturally evolved for me. And then the more and more I talked to people and listened to what they wanted, it helped me evolve the product itself as well. And in between classes, I went to a super cheap farmer's market and I wouldn't let a single person walk by my booth without talking to them, introducing them the product. And it helped me hone in on how I can quickly bring in and pique someone's interest, even if they weren't my ideal client in a way. Like, how could I tailor my pitch and my positioning to event to actually get them interested? And then, you know, oh, it's a holiday item. They ended up buying eight at a time and little things like that, that I wasn't maybe a natural saleswoman, but I had to be because... I had a few hours before I got to class, so I better make the most of it that I drove my butt out here and set up this whole table. So I had to, I had to be hungry for it. <laughs> that is so awesome. There's a lot there, um, especially like on that incorporating feedback piece, right? Because you're talking about incorporating feedback on the product the, and then also on the business side when you're incorporating feedback that you get when you're doing your pitches. Because um, like 
I think a lot of times we want to keep our ideas like to ourselves or we're afraid of people, you know, or it's going to hurt, you know, like we even open up this conversation with, Hey, Luciano, here's four things you can fix your website. Like, <laughs> like that could to, to an average bear and, and maybe it hurt a little bit, but it's like, yep, that's good. Thank you. <laughs> May I have another, <laughs> you know, and then I can go on and make those changes. And so like, luckily a friend is telling me this versus, you know, somebody who, um, maybe, you know, could be a valuable business partner, but they're like, Oh, this guy's website has all these issues. Well, if he's got issues here, then he's probably got issues over there. So that feedback to keep incorporating in everything that you're doing is super, super important. Yeah. And with that too, I mean, people, it's almost like you're scared for someone to tell you your baby is ugly where, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, it's, you can take everyone, anyone's opinion with a grain of salt, but in a pitch, if you hear or get feedback on the same things over and over, maybe that's a sign to switch something and, not be too proud and humble yourself and fix it and move on. Like for me, I thought, oh my gosh, this product is for kids for this and up to, a, you know, elderly people who want to store their stuff and not have to care about a person. I, I wanted to cater to everyone. And that was a mistake. And right. um, a friend of mine said she, when she started pitching, she's like, or, and now she's an angel investor. She said, when everyone wants to be, you want to be everything to everyone, that's, actually the worst possible thing that you can do yeah so the more more niche you can get in in tailored in terms of your messaging pitch the people you want to talk to it's going to move you along the line in terms of success a bit faster than trying to do all of the things and be all the things that's key i think that's definitely key so um oh and then one more thing on the just the pitching You, you you did have like a um like a consistent pitch every time and that was that was pretty cool to watch <laughs> yeah so that's what i realized i actually the reason i started my second company was because i had so many founders reach out to me about my strategies and how i kept winning all these pitches and getting these opportunities it was because i naturally figured out the foundational aspects and how to have an educated conversation about them like the ultimate basics. You can try all these fancy pitch decks or create, you know, like on Shark Tank, people see these funny, entertaining things, but that at the end of the day, that actually does not matter at all. Like, can you bring to the table these foundational aspects about your business and yourself, how you're involved and your why matters in, in between that? And so I developed, you know, built the second company, Power to Pitch, and created a course to help other founders walk through that same process so they can make the pitch and process repeatable over and over in so many instances. Cause like you said, I, I would do, you know, if we had 60 second pitches up to five minute pitches, I still talked about the same exact things in a very similar order. Maybe there was a little mm. more drawn out in a five minute pitch, obviously, cause I had time, but the, the basics of that and the core concepts were the exact same and no one told me that I had to figure it out but that's what was resonating with people because I was able to consistently talk about these things and answer these same questions that's cool I know when I had um my most successful pitch when I was like preparing for it um I noticed that I had the attention of whoever I was talking to whether they were an angel investor or a teacher or like my parents or at, like my roommates, whoever I could find that would freaking listen to me for five minutes. Um, when I, when I realized that I could keep their attention and they were all like understanding it, no matter who they were, it was like, okay, 
I got something here. And that's the time I actually like got first place in something. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and to that point there, there's two bits that I really coach on is that your audience is key. Like if you think you're going to show up to an investor meeting or a networking event and not understand who you're talking to and how to guide the conversation, you are going to fail. I promise you. And I see this over and over and over again, that they're too lazy to do the research. They want to show up and give their pitch, but okay, what is important to this person or what types of companies and metrics are important to this portfolio? Like all of that, you have like only stage. Yeah. It, you only have so many seconds and minutes to actually get their attention and keep it and then want them wanting more. And then twofold is I coach a lot on that. Your audience isn't always a customer. So for example, I see a lot of women pitch their beauty brand to a panel of men when that is not their core customer. And they pitch and talk about their product as if the men were to understand the problem and were to be users and change their habits in order to take on their product. And they fail over and over until you switch the pitch of actually, we built a sustainable beauty brand and this is the problem in the environment. Here's the current landscape. Here's why this is such a big issue. Here's what we're tapping into. And when you can change the language and the strategy of that pitch, even though it's still a group of men listening about your beauty brand, then you've gotten them to understand they don't necessarily have to be a customer, but now you've made them have interest in what you're actually trying to solve, if that makes sense. Mm. No, it totally does. It totally does. Um, especially like uh, for my personal lesson, it was nobody cares about truck lights for the most part. <laughs> like the the audience who's investing in, in these or who's watching these pitches, they're not really my customers, right? And so for like a so like a uh, a concrete example of what you're talking about was I had to start being like, okay, who here is wearing a watch today, right? And people raise their hands, or whatever, and you're getting people engaged because you're, you know. And then um, it's like, okay, well, are you wearing that watch because it it tells time better than other watches, or are you wearing that watch because you like the way it looks? And that's what these lights are. These lights are uh, an, an, uh, an identity piece. And it's for people the way they like the way it looks. It's like you like the way your watch looks better than other watches. Um, somewhat in those words. And this is putting it into terms that people can relate to, even though they're not the target audience. Yeah, and there's there's aspects of the pitch too where if you feel like I always preferred live pitches because you can kind of gauge the audience too. But I always knew I did a great job pitching the less questions I had at the end. Like I always <laughs> want to pique their interest with questions, but when I knew I checked off all these same boxes and they would look at each other and just say, great job and move that on. Make, and it was normal and it was like, all right, yeah, <laughs> it made sense. I get it. That's <laughs> not cool. that I didn't not have questions at the end, but it was a sign to me that I covered, properly covered the basics. So how did you go from, you know, pitching these things to you exited like our lifestyle? So like, what were some of those milestones that, you know, kept you going through it? Yeah. So that's, I mean, it's a lot to unpack in six years. Cause I mean, I, I wish sure. that when I was in class, I was started manu like emailing manufacturers and trying to skip out on practice conferences and things because I had a business event and expo and whatever. So that became exciting. And I realized I really had something and I enjoyed it. And then twofold, I always thought, oh, this is, this is a company I'm going to run forever. How cool would it be to pass down to my kids? My grandpa passed it down to his sons and 
And then when I started to get into, you know, COVID hit and I was just in the back end working in e-commerce, my team was all remote. I lost a lot doing a lot of things that I loved. Like I loved being in in-person events, interacting with the customer and that. And I felt super behind the scenes and like the impact wasn't there, but we did amazing things, partnering with Zulily, Good Morning America four times and take some brands over 10 years to get that partnership. And I was still literally bringing inventory into my parents' garage when I got that first opportunity. We moved on to a warehouse and, and did great things, but I mean, it was just, I had to say yes and be scared of a lot of opportunities with that business in order to move forward, even though it might've been uncomfortable or I didn't understand a lot of the things as well. But you said, um, say, wait, say the last part, was it be scared about some opportunities or? Yeah, for example, even the Good Morning America one, I did not have the shipping capabilities. They wanted 10,000 units to move in 24 to 48 hours. And I didn't have a proper warehouse at the time. And within days, I was able to figure that out and get every order shipped out within 24 hours once the opportunity came about. And that took a lot of growth. And it was very scary because I'd never done anything like that before. I didn't know any other brands or people. And so a lot of it is figuring it out as you go. And then I we did it so well that they had us back four times. So it's it was really exciting and stressful and fun all at the same time. Um, and working on new products was always amazing. But when I had, uh, so it goes back to, you know, I, I exited that company a couple months ago and it was my decision to do that because power to pitch i had started also in the meantime on accident again because okay. i fedex i won their grand competition in maybe 2018 and then they said oh your pitch video was one of our favorites will your if we bring out a team can we highlight your top pitch tips for the grant contest it went viral on their youtube and i had hundreds of founders messaging me and i thought oh my gosh how do people not know how to answer this about a pitch. I didn't think that I was that good at it until people were asking me some of these foundational questions that I had figured out early on and I wanted to help. So I founded the second company and realized that I was saying the same things over and over again when I was private coaching. So I developed mm -hmm. a course for founders to go through it in their own time, get the assistance, understand investor psychology around things, learn the foundations of a pitch deck, uh, presentation and speaking skills, potential Q&A, and then actually get matched with capital opportunities within their industry. That was my whole goal is the, the process is intimidating and very boys club exclusive in a way. So I wanted to open the doors for especially female and underrepresented founders to peek back what's behind the curtain. How do we have a conversation? What are the expectations behind that? So they can do that in their own time and actually get fun faster and instead of having to be a part of a, a six month or three month accelerator in order to learn the business basics it seemed backwards that you had to go through all that in order to understand the fundamentals of a pitch and how it is applicable to so many things yeah i like that um awareness that you had because you're like hey i'm, I'm kind of in the back of the scenes right now and that's necessary to take care of the business but my sweet spot my like fun time is when i'm in the front of the company right when i'm when i'm the face of the company when i'm pitching interacting with customers and things like that and so then now you've got a second company where that is all you do 
or maybe not all yeah. you do, but that's more of it, right? It's more of guaranteed front of the company action. So not actually front of the company. It was actually sure. harder. It's harder to sell a company when you are the face of the company. And I realized that early. So it wasn't necessarily being the face of the company. It was being able to do front-facing things. Instead of sitting behind the computer and dealing with Amazon reports and, and such, that's not what I enjoy. That's not what made me excited to get up in the morning and 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 make a living off of, in a way. And it was really heartbreaking to admit to myself that that's not what I wanted to keep doing in a way. I mean, it was exciting and I was doing well and I was getting all these opportunities, but I realized my superpower was in developing a pitch. And when I could see other founders rework their pitch and get funding opportunities and get new partners and mentors based on now they're having these educated conversations based off of what I was able to share, it was so much more empowering and impactful to me that that's where I felt like my lane was and what I got yeah. really excited about. So I knew I built the foundations for Locker Lifestyle and was excited to be able to pass that on and then really take hold of this second company as I make more of a larger uh, impact for these founders. Was there like a moment when you kind of realized that, you know, when the, that heartbreaking moment when you're like, this is actually not what I want to do? Or it was like, I guess you've kind of gone over what's led to that, unless you've got more to add there. Yeah, I guess. I remember, I mean, because my team was remote, I was still working out of warehouse and around, you know, COVID time. And I was working with, you know, figuring out a new GMA Good Morning America opportunity. And I was very, it was really exciting. But when I was in the office by myself working through all this and having to connect with all these different team members and then call about this and worry about this and this and this, it just, I felt this moment of overwhelm instead of being excited about that anymore. I just didn't feel that joy and at that same weekend I put up a workshop for my per my first ever power to pitch workshop I had no idea that people were going to pay to sign up and want to learn and so much excitement from these founders came out of it asking for how they do this and what my perspective or what it, the, the do's and don'ts and it gave them this excitement and freedom for what they were doing. And that's what I was missing. So these two incidences happened in the same week. And I was like, oh, damn it. This is, <laughs> this is actually right. my husband at the time. He, he looked at me, he goes, do you realize how much more exciting, excited you are to talk about, you know, the, the pitching side of things versus developing even new product? Because, I mean, dealing with supply chain issues and such were, becoming, it was more difficult. I mean, it was definitely manageable. I had great manufacturing partners, but that's, it just wasn't the stuff that I was enjoying anymore. And it was powerful to finally say it out loud to other people in a way of, you know what, I know that this second venture is where my strengths are. And if I'm so grateful for every locker lifestyle experience and wearing all the hats, because if I didn't have those, I wouldn't have been able to figure out where my strengths were essentially, and then to really capitalize on that. Oh, that's really cool. That's really cool. Um, have you ever seen the like Marie Kondo spark joy, like cleaning up with yeah. Marie Kondo? No, like, <laughs> yeah, literally like the, cleaning up the messes. Yeah. Yeah. And so for me, I love that philosophy because I think it translates to more than just like your household, your physical household. I think it's also your mental household, if you will, where you're getting rid of the things that don't spark joy for you and you're keeping the things that do spark joy for you that's a great analogy it really is and could i have 
done bigger things and even raised maybe millions of dollars with the company and come up with 20 more products and such. If I really wanted to, probably, but would that make me feel complete and excited to go to work and do all these things? I, I had investors reach out and I went through meetings. And then when we talked about the future of the company, when I was struggling to answer that and want to be a part of that, that was like, okay, this is, this is the time mm. where you realize that, you know, that's not where you're, you want to be anymore. And then that, that's okay. I mean, and you hear so many, you know, more than I think the stat is 90, more than 95% of companies fail within the first five years. I'm so grateful I got to exit after year six. I mean, it wasn't all easy in any sense, but it took a lot of sacrifice to, to get there, especially in college too, you know, not going out and partying as much or staying in late or not sleeping as much to study and then email manufacturers at 1am because they're in China and so it was, it was a lot to learn and I'm, I'm grateful for every bit of it, but it was not easy by any means. That's really cool to hear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people say, oh, startup, it's so awesome, exciting. Well, okay, it's also lonely. It's also sacrifice a crap load, you know, personally and professionally. But I remember when I wanted to realize I want to take Lockhart Lifestyle full-time after college, a uh, other founder friend of mine, he said, I was asking him advice because he took it full time. He took all these risks and to just try it out. And he said, Kat, if you go get a job, you're going to be comfortable. You're never going to do this full time. You're not going to want to be the true entrepreneur that you are. And I wrote it down and I followed that advice and I stuck with it. And now I have a second company because of it. <laughs> but awesome. I lived out of my parents' house. I was bringing semi-trucks of inventory at first was coming to them. And I wasn't giving myself a full paycheck just to be able to order more inventory at first. No one tells you that part. That's not the fun part, you know, developing new products and seeing it launch on TV. And tell me about Good, Mary, Good Morning America. Yeah. So, I mean, that stuff's awesome, but what it takes to get there is like, wow, that is, it's not, it's not for the faint of heart. That's for sure. <laughs> Um, yeah. So what gives you strength then? Well, for me, so when I first started out, it was that giving people the confidence to go do the things, be confident about where they're going and what they're doing. I gave them this risk locker that they could have their essentials. Not only was it a convenience factor, it was safety because I heard all these stories about runners who would go out and one actually DM me on Instagram. This is a true story in the locker lifestyle Instagram. She said, Oh my gosh, I have to tell you the story. I'm buying your product right now. And I just need to, to, to tell you why. And, and she said, it's off for a typical run. Didn't want to bring a bulky running bell. And then I was hit by a car and knocked unconscious. I had no ID on me. I didn't think I needed it. I was only two miles from my house. Hospital couldn't identify me. Police couldn't identify me because they had no identification until I regained consciousness. And to me, it was that yeah, I got excited to bring more safety to people who wanted to be active and go do all things. Wow. And I kept doing that. And that was big motivation. But then when I was dealing with like manufacturers sending me 95% faulty inventory and treating me differently and just it was some of the stories I have are just so crazy. And ouch, yeah, that's, that's going to happen. Yeah. In between. But my motivation became stronger when I saw that only, you know, 2% of females get venture capital and even less for certain 
um, demographic of other minority founders. And that, that industry, there's so much that has to change there. And it starts with the education of how you have a conversation around your pitch. And that's where I realized that that's where my superpower is. That's where I feel strongly to step up and who's have been doing that now for, you know, a year and a half or so. And it, it fuels me every day because the founders that I get to meet, what they're working on is so exciting to help them make an impact with what they're doing as well is yeah. what fuels me now. I love that. You know, I wasn't sure what you were going to say to, you know, what gives you strength. That question kind of came out of nowhere. And as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, God, that's such a cheesy question to ask. You know, like, well, what inspires you? Oh, you know, like my momager, right? But <laughs> the fact that you just went right to the fact that I was delivering value to people is what gives me strength. It's like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> well, it becomes outside of you. I, you know, a mentor in Grand Rapids that I had, I met at a pitch competition gave me my first large scale manufacturer. I will never forget that moment when he said, oh yeah, we're in a non-competitive industry, but textiles. Yeah, no, no, I'll, I'll send you an email. We'll get you hooked up with them. I'd, I'd worked for two years to source, do samples, find all the lead time, someone who would do a run oh, for less than 5,000 pieces of inventory or 10,000 pieces of inventory for that matter. And he said, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll vouch for you. I, I love what you're doing. And I, at that time, I just, my heart just like shot up into my, just exploded because I had, you know, I, I said, that's so awesome. But you, I mean, you're betting, like, why are you doing that? And he said, Kat, I would not be where I am without the mentors that I had. So all I ask is that one day you pay it forward. And I never forgot. I could tell you what I was wearing, where I was standing, like everything, because he was, that company was on Shark Tank, was doing all the things. I was so inspirational. And for them to be humble enough to just want to help and share and do that and help other businesses and make a different kind of impact, you know, that, that always stuck with me. So I mentor with a lot uh, of other groups such as future founders in Chicago and, and others, and, you know, still have my course and such, but I think it's important that founders aren't too proud to give back to you because I wouldn't have been where I was without the mentors who took the time to just talk with me and brainstorm collaborator, share connections. Mm -hmm. I think like a lot of people um, know that they need mentors in some like ethereal sense. I don't know if that's the right word, but like in some. Everyone can use a mentor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Every, everyone kind of knows it, but then they're also like, well, I don't have one. I'm going to go back to what I was doing or like, oh, I don't know how to find a mentor. But I mean, I think when you're putting yourself out there that ask. way. What's that? They didn't, they didn't ask because you could literally find anyone, whether it's LinkedIn, social media, someone in a non-competitive space, someone that you look up to starting simple conversations and being open and transparent, starting to slowly build a relationship and then literally asking them for maybe an one hour of coffee once a month or a 30 minute Zoom call bi-weekly, whatever that is, you'd be surprised how many people say yes. That's cool. Um, one other thing I kind of noticed about the kind of story you're telling is that you've kind of learned, it seems my interpretation of it is turning obstacles into stepping stones where you've got these obstacles with these manufacturers or these obstacles with even trying to solve the problem with your product, but then using that as a fuel to continue to deliver. And no became my favorite word because, you know, you hear that and I, that just made me realize, all right, well, I'm going to have to ask in a different way. I'm going to have to reposition. I'm going to come have to come after it again until that no has to become a yes. And I, I just 
was obsessed with being able to figure that out because no wasn't an option anymore. <laughs> Look at the pitches. Okay, well, yeah, I gotta figure out what you're doing because you're not gonna be able to afford this or meet this person if you're not persistent enough in a way. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I heard you on another podcast um, and you had said, um, I was kind of clicking through it, but one of the yeah. things you had said, what, TBH, um, one, of, <laughs> yeah, one of the things um, you had said was that sometimes you're your own, you're your own worst enemy. And um, it's like, what did you mean by that? And how does that come into play? Yeah, great question. Which podcast, which one was this, by the way? It was Pink. Pink. Oh, the Dream Mentorship one. Okay, she's yeah. super great. Uh, so being your own worst enemy is, I mean, to this day, no matter how much I do or think I accomplish, there's, it's, we're human nature and having self-doubt and such. But sometimes you, like me, second-guessing myself, wanting to be perfect, not wanting to put things out there because I don't think it's ready or... I don't feel like I'm good enough to meet this person or do this. It's that's what I mean is I get in my own head or convince myself to not do something or not push hard enough or also in a way of not taking a break because I don't think I deserve the break because I didn't work hard enough or put out these things. I put all this pressure on myself to do that because I want to achieve more. I want to do things bigger than myself. So I can be my own worst enemy in, in many ways. And I admit that, and I know that I'm actively working on it, but it's it's yeah. a reality, and it's, I think, part human nature. It is, because I think the other side of the coin is you're also your own best hero. Yeah, and I, I tell founders, too, that, okay, if, if you can't come up with customer transformations in a pitch, you can be the hero in your own story in a pitch, you know, like... The, when an investor or even in a pitch, they're betting on you as a founder, they're buying into you as the entrepreneur. And I say that over and over and over and over again, because they're betting on you as the founder from day one, your passion, your grit, your tenacity, your ability to overcome obstacles. They like hearing those things because they are taking a risk on you as in you are the most qualified to do whatever it might be, regardless of the industry or a pivot that might come up you're you're the one to take it over the finish line so how can you prove that hmm. so do you have people work that into their pitch like talk about how they have overcome obstacles or is that not part of the equation is that a separate part of the equation it's it's never towards the end necessarily i mean you you have to think of your whole pitch as a storyline so whether that comes in okay. the beginning or if you're talking about certain traction or problem solving or solutions there's ways to weave it in there I wouldn't wait all the way till the end of the pitch to peak interest in terms of how hardworking or how much grit you have as, as a founder. There's definitely ways to weave it in there. And you don't necessarily always have to say that, but you have to make your audience feel as if they can trust you and that you're the best person to pursue this. That makes sense. Um, you had said something earlier about um, a similar but non-competing space. Um, so why is that important? Because if you're looking for for something within the industry, you're not going to go ask your competitor. Sure, you can look up where they do things, but I mean, why would you do that? Aren't you trying to be better anyways? So finding someone, for example, when I had wrist wallets, I was talking to in a bra company because they were still in textiles. They still used some parts you were using zippers, some parts were using other fasteners. So they had aspects, but was I taking away their business or hurting their business? 
no. So it was easy for them to say, sure, we'll help you. Mm, that makes sense. So it's like finding um, like mentors and, and, and how to do things and how to accomplish your company by finding people who um, are doing something similar, but aren't going to be a direct competitor. Yeah. The, the, I mean, the point of a mentor is they bring to the table more experiences than and help you learn lessons so you don't have to go through that same pain. So, okay, if they're in the textile space, they're probably gonna give you some other perspectives or if you're in tech or something like that, you want to find someone who's been there, done that and willing to share. Mm, that makes sense. And so I guess kind of what's the, la- what's the um, kind of vision for Power to Pitch? Like, where do you wanna take it? Where do you, or is it just day by day, I'm just gonna keep doing things as opportunities come up? Oh, you know me. Come on. You know, there's a big vision in there. <laughs> I'm not a day by day person. Never <laughs> have been. I got a vision board right next to me. Uh, but I'm well, tell I'm me starting... what's on that vision board. <laughs> I, uh, I'm starting with helping 1000 female and underrepresented founders take advantage of pitch opportunities to scale for their business. And not necessarily every single founder needs to go through venture capital. So I'm providing the tools and resources of these foundational pitch up. I guess these foundational pitch aspects are applicable to all of these things. Here's how to take advantage of them, when to use them, where to use them, how to talk about them. And then on top of that, I'm really excited in the back end working on some tech to make it actually more efficient. Can't share yet what that is, but I, I know that I want to be a part of the bringing up that statistic of the 2% and less of those demographics who actually have venture capital. Like I was saying earlier, 2% of females and even less for other minority demographics race venture capital and take advantage of funding opportunities. So I want to be, and I know I'm capable of actually bringing that percent up into the double digits. That's, that's my whole mission behind this and sharing all of this because that's that's something that you know is shocking and for 2022 right like that (laughs) is the percent that's how we're having conversations and yeah i mean i'm sure even you saw some of the pitch competitions we did i I post a picture on linkedin where i was usually the only female from the judging panel to the competitors and i had to step back and say think well why the heck is that the case everyone has equal opportunity to be here so What's the gap? What's missing there? And yeah. it was the intimidation, the lack of representation, resources, and conversation around how to talk about what you're doing and, and that confidence to do it. So yeah. I'm trying to take founders from frustrated and unprepared to confident and concise to take advantage of these funding opportunities. That's amazing because you have like a, a macro trend, right, of people wanting to be more inclusive, underrepresented, um, underrepresented uh, groups. Um, and, but they don't have the training or resources that give them the confidence to actually participate. You know, it's like the door's open. Why aren't they coming here? Right. But it's, if you don't have the same kind of resources or background or environment to help you go there confidently and go there where you're actually going to do well and perform, um, this is not going to happen. And so, so it's cool to see what you're doing at a micro level. Um, I mean, huge impact. I don't mean like, but like, Versus, you know, you got millions of people right now talking about diversity, inclusion, whatever. Um, but then you've got ground level things that can actually help people get there. 
because we can all make these policies. Oh, we need to have, you know, another Hispanic on this board. Right. But like, yeah, like, <laughs> there's only so many times you can talk the talk, but how about walk the walk? Like, what are you doing? So for example, this, I like the vision board example. Anyone could put up these things and rah, rah, put a great quote and feel inspiration, but what are the actual metrics that you want to yeah. look at and tackle and achieve to actually get there, bridge the gap and make stuff happen? Because I mean, you see all these, there's more and more firms popping up for, you know, women specifically and other underrepresented founders, but they're still such in the minority and they have such small funds and it's hard for them to really connect with founders and having this trust and conversation. So how do we become more proactive instead of reactive? That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's all I got to say. About and that. I don't have all the answers. So I'm just. I'm taking it day by day in that sense of I'm, you know, already working. I've worked with hundreds of founders um, and help helping them do, you know, big things and have the foundational conversations. And that's where the impact starts. I can't tell you how much to raise. I can't tell you that your financials should look exactly like this, but here's the starting point. Here's the basics to really master. Cause mm. so for example, when I play tennis, I was, I was hitting, I used to hit with a famous tennis players, uh, hitting coach. And instead of us working on fancy drop shots and crazy cool things that we could be doing and trick the opponent and whatever. And we, we hit over a thousand backhands cross court for over an hour. Like we did the basics over and over and over and over again to make it right. Whereas, and you heard my same pitch almost over and over. Well, the consistency, there's confidence and consistency of instead of showing up and trying to impress with these crazy or do fun things, here are the absolute essentials and why they're important and crucial. And it opens a lot more doors. That's cool. I know it's, it's really, you know, what are these basics and um, how do you make those work for you? Right. I like that because it's Look, I can't tell you how much you need to raise or what your financials should look like or how much inventory yeah, you should I, have. I give them the right? tools to do that. I mean, I even <laughs> I partner with Carta and and other, you know, big players in the game to give founders these resources. So I advise and help them on that side. But at the end of the day, you're gonna get to say what and do what you want. I can't control that, but here are the tools and and such to be able to move forward. I think I've brought this up before on this podcast like four times, but it's like even Michael Jordan practices the the, the chess pass or at the time, right? I mean, you, you got the world's best player in the, the the world's best player in the world <laughs> practicing the chess pass. And it's like, he's the best. How is he? Why is he practicing that? But it's fundamentals. And once you can master the fundamentals, well, then you can really start to have some fun, at least when I'm um, hearing in that audio book and what I'm hearing from you today as well. Um, last thing I kind of want to touch on is not necessarily what's on your vision board, but what is the structure of the vision board? Like, what are the what are the sections in your on the vision board that someone can recreate for themselves? Great question. I've I actually made a an Instagram post about this. I just put it on my story, and then I had over probably seventy people just respond to it. Oh my gosh, how can I do this and this and this? And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that this is you know so important but when this i is a regular that, tuesday for me yeah i know <laughs> it's it's something that i look at every single day because i'm big on manifestation not that i'm gonna just imagine something and it's gonna show up but you work okay. for it 
this is yeah exactly this is what i'm working towards and if i'm prioritizing my day okay what's the things on my board that i'm literally working towards and need to do first so i have both personal and professional things on there but like i said previously there's actual metrics so when i first started out when i was figuring out the outline of my course i interviewed over 50 founders and 50 vcs just to start and i actually wrote their names in this list and i wasn't gonna make a single bit until I actually had these conversations. And it ended up being more, and it was the most insightful thing I could have ever done. And after probably 10 or 20, I was getting bored. I was like, oh my gosh, it's a lot of meetings. Why am I doing this? But I was in this program where they said you needed at least 50. And so I had you know, the structure of, I ticked off 50 and it was rewarding to see how far I'd come and what each of those conversations meant. I'm actually looking at it right now. What else I have on there? I mean, in terms of, Personally, where do I want to be? What do I want to feel? Like, what are um, what other metrics and or certain strategies that um, I want to live by? Or maybe quotes that were really important. Or so one of my favorite things that I started doing for a few months now was I make my to-do list the night before, so I wake mm -hmm. up with purpose and prioritization instead of just feeling it out for the day. As an entrepreneur, it's hard, right? Like, you're you you got to figure it out. You're if you're successful or if you failed because of you in a way. So writing my to-do list the night before is something I have written on my vision board. So I won't leave my office because I see that and I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta rework and make sure that what I'm doing tomorrow is, is structured. So it's purposeful. That makes sense. And so you're probably starting with like the things that are gonna take the longest or slash will have the most impact. I start with the most difficult, but crucial. So like, for example, if I have 30 things on my to-do list, I'm not going to number eight if I haven't finished number seven. And maybe there's small things like follow up with this person, log this or whatever it might be. But okay, if I'm working on a phase of the course or setting up a meeting with XVC, okay, that's going to be the first thing that I tackle. And I'm not going to waste time thinking that that's not as important as these other things and forget about it and waste till the end of the day where it's actually nothing's really going to come out of that. So I start with the hard, but most important things first. Oh, that's awesome. Well, it was really fun to kind of hear a lot more of the story today, get more in depth to it, and definitely appreciate being able to get into some more tactical stuff towards the end here. Um, is there like anything else? Well, yeah, powertopitch.com. Is that how people can find you or? Yes. So I specifically, it's for pre-seed to seed founders who have a validated MVP. They can be pre-revenue, but at least, at least, at least three to six months in business and needing capital opportunities. So they can apply at power2pitch.com. The course is industry agnostic because it focuses on the basics. There's also lifetime access to it and a private community. So a lot of exciting stuff that I'm doing there. And on LinkedIn, it is just Cat Weaver. So awesome. thanks so much for having me. I was honored. I hope it was helpful. I think so. <laughs> we'll never know, but no, I'm I'm excited that you asked. So thanks for for letting me kind of talk through all that I've been up to so far. Absolutely. Well, it was very exciting for me to hear as well. So thanks a whole bunch. And that is a wrap. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, Kat, of course, is a huge inspiration, and I'm very thankful for her time on this podcast. And uh, yeah, it was great just to hear about overcoming obstacles and vision boards and 
really following what sparks joy in your own life. And I hope that it was applicable for whatever you're doing in your endeavors. And so with that, as always, go forth and please, for the love of God, prosper. Peace.